Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello. And welcome to the World Cricket Show, by most statistical measures, planet Earth's absolute favourite cricket show. I'm your host and my name is Adam Bayfield and I'm just thrilled to be able to say that I'm joined in the studio tonight by perhaps the most famous cricket pundit of them all. Such a giant of the game that Sachin Tendulkar wears pyjamas with this man's face on. It's Tony Kerr. God, evening. (laughs) How's it going this week, Tony? Not too bad. What have you been up to? Pretty good. This evening? Yeah. Went for a run. You'd probably be quite surprised to hear that. I'm slightly surprised yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Smashed my 5k time <laughs> by a minute and a half. I've just tried, I've started running about two weeks ago. Is it, Are you going to be one of these people now who just keeps going on about running? Hopefully not. Shut up about I their running. There are people. There are people. <laughs> I said, like well, that. I just see you in the pub this weekend. I'll just look over and see you, like, deep in conversation yeah. with, with someone just going on about, yeah, so I'm just, I've shaved another second off. Uh, <laughs> just in my running gear, you know, <laughs> and just your for no apparent reason. Yeah. And your headband. No, no. I mean, people are annoying, aren't they? Let's just let's start like start with that. Yeah, let's not bury the lead here. Yeah. People are annoying. I mean, any, people who like things are annoying, aren't they? Like, people, you know, there's all kinds of people out there that annoy me <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, but yeah. I'm, not, I'm going to try not to be one of those people, Adam. So, but maybe I keep talking about it on the podcast just to annoy <laughs> everyone. You know, I don't really know much about running. I don't think I ever finished at school. I ever finished the 1500 meters without stopping numerous times. But now, apparently now, without any training at all. You know, when I, when I, I'll go for a run, I thought, the other day, and I just bashed out 1,500 metres, you know. <laughs> I got to 1,500 metres, I was like, what happened there? You know, when did I, when could I actually run that at a de- decent pace? Well, firstly, you get longer legs, don't you? That is true. Which does help. But I'm slightly surprised that you weren't a sweaty mess at the end. Oh, sweating, but I wasn't a mess. Yeah. No. Well, I don't know what I don't know what I look like. Actually. I'd like to see like a, a hidden camera recording of it, and perhaps you would not be in quite the, uh, <laughs> the altogether state that you fancied yourself. I did, like I don't. Yeah, I did wonder. You know how good? What you know? What kind of time should I be aiming for? Because I looked at some results uh, from local kind of runs, five k runs in the last year, uh, and I was like, oh, I'll just see where you know where that time. You know, is it competitive? No, it would, it would have, I'd have finished last my first effort. But I'm it's coming down at a rate of knots. <laughs> you remind me a lot of um, Mr. Toad. And I don't say that because of uh, the reason why you're doing this running. I say because you get a thing in your head. Like Mr. Toad in The Wind of the Willows <laughs> is famous for jumping around from craze to craze and going, it's the only thing for like five minutes. And then, and then he's onto railways and then he's onto hot air balloons. 
And, you know, you are a bit like that. Like, at one point you were cycling everywhere, then you were walking everywhere, now you're running everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? Well, I just got bored of walking. Segway? So just walk, uh, run, yeah. It seemed like the na- literally the natural kind of step up from walking. <laughs> well, someone told you you should walk before you run, and uh, <laughs> yeah, you, t- you took that very literally. Lodged deep in my mind. How was the comedy night <laughs> on Saturday? We teased listeners last week, didn't we, that... Uh, that you were going to a, 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 we? an evening of comedians, a comedy evening at a local establishment, some stand-up comedians. Was it good? Yeah, comedy's not a particularly big thing in Gens, is it? We're a bit of a cultural backwater in many ways, although you know, some people would say, actually, we, we do all right, but I just don't go to any of it. So this is the first time I've been to any of the comedy things. Invited you, uh, and you bailed at <laughs> well, the last minute. Well, I don't know if the last minute it. is accurate. I, mean, I think you were so worried about being picked out by the comedians. I mean, that's literally true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is literally true. Because, we, yeah, you said um, you'd, you'd got a ticket for me. I mean, you didn't pay for these tickets, so I didn't feel particularly bad in bailing on them. They, they were given to you. Yeah. You'd got a ticket for me and a couple of other a couple of the other lads. <laughs> and um, uh, But then we were talking to our mate Jimmy, who'd been to the same it. comedy night the night before and he said that he'd got picked on by the comedians that he was sitting so close to the front that they uh, had sort of singled him out and started making mocking comments about him uh, i mean that is quite literally <laughs> my worst nightmare i mean i i'm not joking when i say that i've had nightmares about it so i was just like i do not want to deal with that i was spending all day worrying like what am i going to wear what am i you know trying to think of potential <laughs> things that they might say about me and what i might then say in response it's like an interview to try and defend myself yeah. and in the end i was just like i can't be doing with this it's too stressful <laughs> mate now it's you know just... how i feel when i come down here to record this <laughs> yeah i just think like is he gonna pick on me tonight um i i had reports from some of the other people with, that were there with you that it wasn't very good at best it was a mixed bag <laughs> No, it was, I mean, the compare was quite funny, but the actual comedians... And it, it made me kind of think, like, it kind of undermined stand-up comedy as a thing for me. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't really laugh that much. I would love it if, they, <laughs> if they'd come... If one of these comedians came to us looking for a review and it <laughs> ended up on the poster. It kind of undermined stand-up comedy <laughs> for me as a thing, world creation. <laughs> When I was at uni, I went to a lot of comedy nights, and like there'd be funny comedians. That's when you still had dreams of being a stand-up comedian. Yeah, I'd, well, no, I'd be going, I'd be gigging, <laughs> um, and yeah, there'd be really funny comedians there, but there'd also be a lot of no hopers, and it, it's just one of the most awkward things. In the end, I stopped going because it, it's just it's really painful. The difference, I guess, at uni, it was really awful because at the comedy club there were only about a dozen people there. And so there'd be nobody laughing, which is just awful. But I guess maybe a big, it was a slightly bigger well, venue than that. I mean, there were probably like 50, 60 people. And were people laughing at these I mean, Yeah, some people were literally killing themselves, <laughs> which is the other thing. It not undermined comedy, it undermined people <laughs> your, in my mind. Your faith in humanity. <laughs> yeah, I get, actually, that's probably worse, if anything, because you're looking around at all these people. I went to see, I mean, you say about Gensy being a cultural backwater. This is kind of the height of where <laughs> we'd been at. Before, quite recently, I went to see a amateur <laughs> stage production of Hello, Hello <laughs> at the local theatre here, which, for people who are unaware, is a, it was like a sitcom in the 70s. 
it was based in what occupied France. I mean, it was based on it was yeah, it was based on people doing impressions, which pretty much your comedy. It's one it? of my favourite shows because <laughs> uh, it's just people doing French accents and German accents and um, Italian accents, and that's where the comedy comes from. But like the stage show, it was it was funny at times. But there were people, you know, like you have like in farces, it like it, it got very farcical. So like there was a scene where uh, you know the husband has got his mistress there. And then the wife comes back and the mistress is in the cupboard and the wife's coming through and he's like trying to hide over. And, and the, the people in the row in front were just, they'd never seen anything like it before. They were just like, <laughs> I couldn't breathe. They were laughing so hard. And that's worse, isn't it, if anything, than not la- yeah, yeah. laughing at all. Because <laughs> sometimes things are funny and you don't laugh. But if people are just like, like that's really off-putting i mean it's extraordinary some of the noises yeah that were coming from people you just think what's what chemically what's happened in your brain to make you do that but yeah you know maybe you know maybe we'll go see some comedy again sometime if you can you can brave it i think the thing that put me off was that you said that we got seats in the third row as soon as you said that i was like well oh that would just have been the worst thing ever because I, I do feel like there's a lot for them to pick on as well when they when they're looking at me so Crazy. Start yeah. comparing me to David Cameron again. <laughs> anyway, enough of this uh, this dissection of comedy that we're providing here on the World Cricket Show. I don't know if that's quite what people come to us for. Uh, but we've got absolutely freaking loads of stuff about cricket. Uh, coming up on the show today, we've got an India-England preview of intergalactic proportions uh, that we're about to get stuck into. Uh, we'll also be looking back on the first Australia-South Africa test. Uh, and that right there is a lot of stuff. So we'll see how we get on. But if there's time, we'll see if we can't knock out a couple of side notes as well. But yes, there's a lot to cover. Let's go on with it, shall we? Stop mucking about. Stop mucking about like we've been doing up till now. England. This is the part of the show where we talk about England. Now, the test series between India and England is right up in our grill. Uh, We've had the third and final warm-up game. England won the toss, batted first and racked up a substantial 521. A quite brilliant century, 110 from just 94 balls from Kevin Peterson. And half centuries also for Cook, Compton, Bell and Patel. In response, Haryana were going along alarmingly nicely from England's point of view when they were 125 for one. But in the end, they were all out for 334, three wickets apiece for Tim Bresnan and Stuart Meeker. England strolled to 254 for six, declared in their second innings, 100 for Jonathan Trott and another half century for Nick Compton. And the game fizzled out into a draw, high on 133 for six. Um, More wickets for Bresnan in the second innings. So that was the last warm-up game. The first test starts on Thursday. It's in Ahmedabad. It's the first of four tests, and this is a, a really big series, isn't it? It's got the feel of an enormous series. England haven't won in India since the mid-1980s, and India have only lost three of their last 40 test series at home, which suggests that this is going to be a hell of a challenge for the touring England team. Are they ready for this challenge, Tone? On the evidence of the warm-up games and everything else that you know about the England cricket team, are they ready for it? <laughs> yeah, ish. Like, I mean, they're as ready as probably they'll ever be. You know, that's a cliche, but I've used it. What, how more ready could they be? You know, they've played three warm-up games which is... Well, they could have played four, I suppose. Possibly true. But three seems like a good number to me. Three is the magic number. In terms of being cooked enough, they probably are. They're probably medium medium to well at the moment, which is maybe a bit overcooked for me. But uh, in terms of the personnel as well, you know, Peterson's back, so you know they're better positioned now than they would have been 
had they you know, suddenly been asked to go and tour India, you know, in June, July. More so, like a surprise tour. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. I can just imagine that the uh, yellow ticker on Sky Sports News, just like, England asked to tour India tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. That'd be quite exciting, wouldn't it? That would be quite a novel way of shaking up Test cricket. I'm surprised you haven't suggested that on previous I've podcasts. been holding it back, Adam, until the next uh, till the next ICC, what they call it, conference thing. Chief Executive yeah. Summit. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty well set at the moment. Obviously, a lot of question marks hanging over the selection, much more so than in previous months and years, or in recent years, I should say. But they seem to have some, yeah, some promising personnel uh, to come in. So, you know, it's not going to be easy, obviously. I, I don't expect them to win the series. I'm going to, I won't give you a score yet. I'm going to save it. Yeah, I'm just giving a teaser. But, you know, they might get something out of it. These have certainly been three very low key warm up games, haven't they? I mean, low key is probably uh, quite a generous description. Apparently, when Nick Compton came off in the second innings, he'd been batting for, you know, more than 100 balls uh, and came off and just went straight into the nets because that was seen as, you know, more meaningful (laughs) practice than what he'd had been getting out in the middle. And they've played three pretty poor sides but having said that I mean obviously England can't do any more than they did I mean it's it's better to score runs and take wickets against poor teams than not to so they shouldn't have opprobrium heaped on them for the, the way they perform in these games it's just there is a concern about whether or not this constitutes good practice and a lot has been made of the fact that India have essentially denied England um, the opportunity to face really any spin bowlers at all now we said a couple of weeks ago that we don't blame India for that that's a very understandable strategy but regardless of blame do you think that it's going to harm England going into this series the fact that their batsmen haven't really been exposed to much much spin as yet I'm I'm sure they would have liked uh, more opportunities to you know, to face quality spin bowlers for prolonged periods of time because that's what you know that's what they're going to get in the test series. But then again, these players aren't complete mysteries to the England boys. They've been at the likes of Harbhajan and Ashwin now. Oh, well, Harbhajan's been around for donkey's years, hasn't he? Ashwin's been around a bit. You know, these players aren't these aren't complete mysteries to the England players. So, so that you know, they should really just get on with it. I know what you mean, but then you would have said that England knew quite a bit about Saeed Ajmal. They'd faced him before. Yeah, I mean, in the UAE, once they faced him in those conditions, they just couldn't deal with him at all. But then I guess as well, you know, Saad Ashmal is just a very good player, so he's going to take wickets. I mean, England, yeah, England really underwhelmed in that in that series. But and if, and, well, and if they play as poorly as that, or if they the results follow as poorly as that this time around, then it will be disappointing. Well, the way that they played Ajmal particularly, but also the other spinners in the UAE in January, does mean that. India feel that they're extremely vulnerable and that's why they didn't want to give them any practice against spinners and it is clearly a problem and as an England supporter you would have rather that they'd been facing talented young Indian spin bowlers getting them acclimatised to what they're going to have to face but there are two ways of looking at it and the likes of Ian Bell and and Nick Compton were, were plainly out of form Um, at the start of this tour but they've been given the opportunity to play themselves into form by facing very mediocre bowlers part-time spinners uh, and average seamers you know maybe had they been fed a diet of decent spin bowling they might have repeatedly got out cheaply they'd still be out of form and maybe it would be playing on their minds that when they face you know even better spinners in the tests how are they going to deal with it right now they're going to be feeling pretty confident because they've got runs behind them They've got time at the crease behind them. They've spent time batting in the heat, which is going to be very important. They've been able to get used to how draining that's going to be. So India may yet 
come to regret that tactic because, yes, England haven't faced the spinners, but the batsmen clearly are in form. But obviously then, as we say, it, it is the English batting that everyone's going to be looking at. And if they are able to handle the spinners, they've got a great chance of getting something out of this series. If they aren't able to, then it could be 4-0. But do you think that this Indian team need to be a little bit wary of hubris? I mean, the Indian public obviously feel, and with some reason you'd have to say, that England won't be able to withstand this barrage of spin bowling that's coming their way. Um, as we say, we, we've seen that evidence earlier this year. But there are important differences with that UAE tour. As you say, Syed Ajmal is, a, is just a much better bowler than anyone India can offer at the moment. India maybe need to be a little bit careful because suppose England win the toss in Ahmedabad, nullify the spinners, post 450 in the first innings. Do you think the Indian fans might sort of start to turn on their team a little bit? Because they're just expecting that they'll steamroller this series, that the spinners will flatten the English mm. batsmen. It's possible, I guess. You know, India have got, uh, you know, had a job done on them in England uh, last time they came over. And, you know, India aren't as bad a team, possibly aren't as bad a team as that scoreline suggested, although, you know, they then went and, you know, blew it again in Australia as well. So maybe they were in a bit of a poor state at that point. But, you know, they're not perhaps as bad a team as that. And if England go and lose quite heavily here you know I don't think they'll be as bad a team as that as that scoreline would suggest I think one of the beauties of cricket is the fact that you know there are different conditions all over the world it would be something special if this England team or any England team goes and gets something in India as as it would be you know if Australia South Africa any other side in the world went and did it you know it's just part of it's part of the course isn't it if you want to be you know kind of progress but it's not the end of the world if they don't if they don't win so I don't see that there's that much pressure necessarily on on England no, I, I think the pressure is very much on India. The, the fans are expecting them to pay back that 4-0 whitewash, probably with a 4-0 whitewash. If they not only can't do that, but can't beat England at all, then there's going to be a lot of questions asked of them. I, I think you're right. The, the role of the conditions is a tremendously important and exciting aspect of cricket. And were it not for that factor, I think England would be big favourites. I do think they are a better cricket team. But that's not the case because of the conditions. And that is and that is very, very interesting, therefore, isn't it? And if we look at the composition of England's team, because that is something that is, is a really difficult thing to get right because of the conditions, how would you balance it? Do you think they should play three seamers or two? Should they be playing two frontline spinners? Or do you think Samit Patel can provide that that second spinning option. We've got some injuries, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the injuries maybe steer would steer me in a certain direction. You know, it doesn't look like Finn's going to make the first test. Yeah, you know, a fit Stephen Finn would probably get in the team, but at this stage, you know, there's an argument that you could, that you could play Panazar, uh, Panazar, Swan and Patel, I think, given the, what Patel's done with the bat as well. I think I concur with you there because I think that England need two genuine spinning options in these test matches. And I don't think Summit Patel is a good enough bowler to be counted as one of those. I think he's earned his place in the side with his performances in these warm-up games. You know, he's always had a re reputation for being one of the best players of spin in England. Uh, and so he's probably worth a go as a number six batsman. But England shouldn't see him as an all-rounder, I don't think. I think they shouldn't see his bowling as much more of an option than, say, Peterson. So I think they probably need Panazar, but the injuries do add a complication here because if Broad plays in the first test, I really don't think he can be part of a two-man seam attack if he's coming back from injury. But then equally, you can't have Broad and Finn as part of a three-man seam attack because they're both coming back from injury. So for me, I'd go Anderson-Bresnan 
Swan and Panazar, but I think they probably will go for Anderson, Broad, Bresnan and Swan with Patel as, as the second spinner. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a big call, it's, but it's presumably occupied a lot of thinking time uh, so far. You know, my, you know, Flower really hasn't had this headache, has he, for quite a long time. Well, I mean... The, he's some, you know, he's probably some... Like, I mean, not to shoot down your point completely, but I think you're wrong because, uh, I mean, there was a similar selection dilemma in Sri Lanka, very similar, and in the end they went for Swan, Panazar and Patel. But then Patel didn't really do that much bowling. But at that time, he was sort of seen as a proper all-rounder. And I don't know whether maybe you can just see him as, OK, we're picking him to be our number six batsman. But then if you do that, does Johnny Bairstow deserve to be dropped after what happened in the final test of the summer against South Africa? It is a difficult one, Adam. It is a really difficult It's very one. difficult. And, and that's what they, they... That's the beauty of it. That's what the selectors get paid their salaries for, isn't it? Is to make these kind of tough calls. Um, I think Johnny Bairstow probably will get a chance in this series. I think Ian Bell's going home uh, for the second test. He's... His wife's expecting a baby. It's amazing how many England players' wives give birth over kind of Christmas, isn't it? And the winter. What are you saying? Well, I'm just saying it's like every every year, you know, someone goes home to just saying, you know, just time it better, you know. Oh, right, I see. Just give birth in the summer. Yeah, but then they'd, well, I suppose they'd be in England at that time, wouldn't they? But they still might have to miss the test match. Well. You can't really, you can't really say to an international cricketer's wife, <laughs> you know, you need to time your pregnancies with a break in the international be in the calendar central, because there be isn't the central, one. Yeah, it should be the central contract, I think. I guess when the Champions League is on, there's a, a slight gap. So There's a window there, so you <laughs> yeah. know, just back time it from there. You know? There's a three-week window. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I mean yeah, it's a four-test series. There is there is time, space, yeah, and the option of mixing it up. If it doesn't work first time around, you know, just try again. No, that's a good point. And I think it, it looks like England are coming down on Patel being at six with Broad and Bresnan uh, supporting Anderson and Swan. Turning our attention to India, uh, they've had quite a, a tough sort of 10 to 16 months since their whitewash in England suffered another equally devastating whitewash in Australia just a few months after that. But they're back on home territory uh, where, as we know, they are close to impregnable. They haven't lost a test series at home since 2004 and that was against one of the greatest teams if not the greatest ever to play the game against the Australians under Ricky Ponting. And, and as I said earlier, they've only lost three of their last 40 series at home. So statistics are very much stacked in their favour. They are obviously going to feel extremely confident playing at home. But that said, they weren't entirely convincing in the two series that they have played at home since that tour of England um, against West Indies and against New Zealand, the seventh and eighth ranked teams in the world. They, they laboured a little bit to beat those sides. Both West Indies and New Zealand had opportunities to win test matches in that series. So England can take a little bit of heart from that. And this is definitely a team in transition, isn't it? I mean, we've seen... It's not the same team. It's not the same team, is it? Yeah, no, no Dravid, no Latchman. And there are maybe one or two others who could join them in retirement quite soon, notably Verinder Sevag, who's seen his form uh, disappear in the last couple of years. And also Sachin Tendulkar. I mean, do you think this might be his final test series? It's possible. I mean, you can't go on forever. Have you spoken to him about it? Yeah, we've had yeah, a little, you know, met up for a coffee. <laughs> You've had a few lunches. A little chat over it, you know, but I wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to betray his confidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you say, transition is the word. And as there are players, you know, on their, on their way out, there are players who are becoming more of a force. Kohli now is as good as anything, so... And that's that's how I think that's how it's always going to be, isn't it? Yeah, you know, there are lots of good players. Some will go, and some will come in to replace them. Yes, that's a well. That's a it down to two simple. It's, it's a point. I don't know if it's a good point, but it is a point. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, clearly Virat Kohli uh, has been so prolific in the first part of his career that comparisons with the likes of Tendulkar aren't completely unwarranted, I don't think. But he's still very new in Test Match cricket. Chiteshwar Pajara is another one, and he looks to me like a proper Test Match batsman. But both of them are, you know, in the very early days of their careers. So while they've got enormous talent and there's no reason why they can't go out and score hundreds against this England attack, equally, they don't maybe have the the fear factor that an Indian batting lineup that did contain Dravid and Latchman and a, a Sevagan and, and a Tendulkar at the peak of their powers used to have. So from that point of view, compared to um, when England came to India in 2008, you've got to feel that England have a much better chance than they did then, um, certainly of, of, of restricting India to lower scores. So there's a lot of new guys coming through to replace the old guard, but India have also brought back some well-worn faces. We've, we've got Yuvraj Singh, and Harbhajan Singh in the test squad. Slightly peculiar selections, maybe. Yuvraj's return is obviously a fantastic story after his recovery from cancer, and you know, obviously nobody would begrudge him personally the, the opportunity to play test match cricket again, but for me, he was never much of a test player anyway. Limited overs, very much so, but not test cricket. Um, and Harbhajan has looked like a spent force for quite a long time. Uh, me having said that now means that he'll probably run through England in this series, but... <laughs> I don't know, a bit peculiar, I think, both of those recalls. So I think they definitely do have some concerns. I mean, one thing that possibly hasn't been that widely reported in England is the dressing room rift that apparently exists between MS Dhoni and Savag. It's much less publicised than the one between, say, Strauss and Peterson. Um, but it's got the potential to be just as poisonous. I mean, apparently they really don't like each other very much at all, and there's dressing room cliques that have developed. Now, you talk about Peterson being reintegrated, and Matt Pryor today said that the team spirit in the England dressing room has never never been better, which sounds a little bit like propaganda. (laughs) Yeah, there's a quote as well. There was some stuff that Pryor was saying about Peterson. He says, It's been brilliant having Kev over here. Everyone's asking him about whether the next hotel is any good because he's been to most of them. (laughs) Other things, contacts, restaurants, things you can get, things to get you out of the hotel. (laughs) Brilliant, yeah. (laughs) All the important stuff. So essentially what he's saying is that it's great having Peterson along as a tour guide. (laughs) Bring a lonely planet, Matt. It's just as effective. Probably more reliable as well. So yeah, so there's there's concerns for India, but it would be um, but, but but we shouldn't overstate them. I mean, clearly they're they're a formidable side on home soil. I doubt they're going to be short of runs in the way that they were in England last year. Um, and yeah, I mean, Kohli and Pajara look like extremely good batsmen. I think Gautam Gambu will probably have a quite a big series back where he much prefers to be, which is in India. And then there are the spinners, Ashwin and Pragyanodja. I think is is a very useful bowler. Perhaps neither of them are in the sort of class of Said Ajmal or even Abdul Rahman, but they're going to make life tough for England. And that's where the series is going to be won and lost, isn't it? Is can England rise to that challenge? Do you fancy a bit of composite 11 action, oh, I've been waiting for this. It's an interesting one. It was a difficult, it was a difficult selection. See what this you... is quite literally what you're not paid to do. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. See what you make of this. Got an opening partnership of Cook and Gambier, then a middle order of Trot, Peterson, Tendulkar, Kohli. Matt Pryor is my wicketkeeper. Then a spin duo of Ravi Ashwin and Graham Swan and a pace duo of Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson. So it's another 7-4 split. This one in England's favour. People might be a little bit surprised, I think. How long did you sweat over that? Uh, six or seven hours. I mean, I slept on it as well. <laughs> sort of finalised it by breakfast. 
It's a difficult it's a difficult team to pick that though. I'm really glad that I don't actually have to do that <laughs> in the real world because I mean how would, do it here either. <laughs> how would you how would you tell Ian Bell that he's not he's not gonna play? How Ian. would you break it to Zahir Khan? Ian, come over here for a second. You've not pet Adam's not picked you in the composite eleven. <laughs> MS, can I have a word? Perhaps you'd expect India to dominate that given that they are favourites for this series that I think. Is that is that more of a kind of you know, if you took if you took both teams up to the you know, international space station and you had to separate them into, you know, an eleven that have been picked and just jettison the rest of them, uh, you <laughs> that know. would be an even harder conversation <laughs> to have with yeah. Ian Bell then, wouldn't it? Very difficult. But I mean, Mate, yeah. can you just have come it... a bit closer to the airlock? <laughs> have you considered? You know, is that absent from the conditions? You know, is that what you're thinking there? I think that's what's. It's um, harder, maybe, to the to hardest gauge. part of my job. I think here is is trying to assess the role of the conditions <laughs> here because. Yes, it might be that in these conditions, every single one of the Indian players is better than the English players and therefore a composite 11 would just be India. I think, yeah, if this was played on neutral ground, that's the side I would pick. But I, I've tried to, to to look at it in that way as well because, you know, for example, at this point in their careers, I think Ian Bell's a better batsman than Sachin Tendulkar, but it's hard not to pick Tendulkar here. But yes, I mean, I, I, as we always say with these composite 11s, they're great fun, but ultimately a bit pointless because it might be that you know India only have four players but for example Ravi Ashwin might destroy England enough 30 wickets that yeah. it, it makes no difference so so yeah so this was all a waste of time is essentially what I'm trying to say uh, what I'm looking for now Tone is a prediction from you for this series who's going to win and by what scoreline four tests so just back by time <laughs> yeah. it's fine so yeah no, uh... we've established that <sighs> I always find with predictions that involve England, it's just, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of an optimist when it comes to these sort of things. And I, I, I could never predict an England whitewash you know, against. <laughs> I thought you were saying <laughs> you were thinking about predicting that England would win 4 0. I was going to say no. that's a little bit optimistic. Uh, I'm going to give us a chance. I'm going to say two all. Wow. Well, firstly, four results might yeah. be. Yeah, slightly. Um, <laughs> it's bold, mate. It's <laughs> slightly bold. bold. So you're going two all. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it could be a bloodbath, couldn't it? If, uh, could if, be both ways, yeah. If, if Ashwin and Urja really do get stuck in, um, then 4-0 then is not out of the question. And it, it's difficult not to go for an Indian series victory because the conditions are so important. And not just because England are out of their depth in these conditions, but because India are so comfortable in these conditions that any team coming to India is difficult to pick. And so head ruling heart, I'm going for an Indian victory. I'm going 2-1. But... I would not be surprised, like you, if England did get something out of this series. It's certainly the best opportunity to win a series for a really long time. And let's not forget that in 2006, they did get a result. They got a one-all draw. So they've got some recent history on their side. And as we all know, the most important thing in any cricket series is history. (laughs) That's what really makes the difference. That's one thing we've learned over the years. And we're back. You're listening to the World Cricket Show. I'm here with Tony Kerr. Uh, and we're going to do Around the World now, on which we discuss everything that's been happening around the world. Uh, so let's head on over, down under. Perhaps we could play a little bit of uh, Men at Work down under now underneath this, do you reckon? Actually, I, you know, no one's ever thought. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. <laughs> Maybe some didgeridoos underneath as <laughs> yeah. well. Uh, for arguably the marquee series of the winter, certainly one of the marquee series of the winter alongside England v India, um, Australia and South Africa locking horns. Uh, and the first test took place in Brisbane this week with South Africa winning the toss and batting first. Uh, they posted 450. Uh, that actually had been a little bit disappointed not to have got more than that because when they were 374 for three... Uh, they would have been thinking about 500 or even 600. Uh, Hashim Amla and Jacques Callis with centuries. Uh, three wickets for James Pattinson. Australia were in all kinds of trouble at 40 for three, but an astonishing 259-run partnership between Ed Cowan, who scored his maiden test century, and Michael Clark, who ended up with an unbeaten 259, pushed them up beyond the South African total. Mike Hussey also scored a century. They declared on 565. Ordinarily, you'd have thought they could have pushed for a victory, but because the entire second day was lost to rain, there wasn't really enough time. Uh, South Africa were 166 for five in their second innings when the captains shook hands. So the match finished as a draw. As I say, probably the rain prevented a result there. I tweeted that I didn't think that it ever rained in Australia, uh, and an Australian listener by the name of Clara uh, replied, Oh no, it does. It creates real visibility problems when we're riding our kangaroos to work. It's one of the good things about doing this podcast, isn't it, Tony? That you get a real kind of insight into the way other people live around the world, and you know, it's 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 like doing a, a travel show. It's like having Kevin Peterson with you all the time. It's, yeah, it is, isn't it? It feels like we're not just stuck in a you know a studio in wet, miserable Guernsey. Because I mean, I, I I had no idea that they all rode kangaroos to work <laughs> in Australia. Enlightening. One thing I've taken away from this test match is that Australia really need to get on a better time zone. <laughs> that is hugely, <laughs> because, hugely. Day, we, daylight tests in Australia cannot come quick enough. <laughs> because as we learned uh, from the US election, I cannot stay awake past midnight these days. Uh, so I'm operating basically on highlights from this test match. I don't think I saw a single delivery live. I mean, it's just, if you were trying to design it so that I wouldn't see any of it, you couldn't do it better than that. It starts at midnight, I can't stay awake till then, and it's <laughs> over by like seven in the morning, and I'm not up quite in time for that. Before How many hours sleep do you get? Twelve. About like 13 or 14 yeah. at night. Well, I was particularly annoyed because the one day of this test match that uh, I could actually get up and watch uh, was a complete washout. Annoying for me. So again, yeah, I was, I'm just going on highlights here. You know, it's propaganda as well, isn't it? The highlights. It could be they could be leading us down a garden path in terms of what happened. It's all in the editing. It, it is, isn't it? Quite a remarkable test match. It was an extraordinary fight back from Australia to, to be um, forty for three, more than four hundred behind against South Africa. As we said last week, the best bowling attack in the world. At that point, you'd have thought that even though 
um, they'd lost the second day to rain that you know South Africa were on course for victory. Oh, I mean, it was all looking uh, very predictable, wasn't it? You know, we predicted and could have predicted that South Africa would get you know a decent first inning score. Like you say, at three down, Morkel and Stain picking up wickets. You're thinking, yeah, here we go. Amr had got bucket loads of runs again, and as did Callis. So it was all just yeah. It was all easy punditry. Wasn't it was it? like they were playing off a script that we'd written. <laughs> but, but like you say, that yeah. What what happened after that? No one saw it coming. No, and Australia really turned the tables. It was an incredible fourth day. Australia only lost one wicket, and that was a run out. The South African bowlers didn't take a wicket in that day. Cowan registered his maiden Test century. Clark his third double hundred of the year um, after he scored a, a triple and a double against India last winter, and that puts him in rarefied air with Don Bradman and Ricky Ponting as one of only three players to have achieved that feat, three double hundreds in a year. And the South African attack just looked impotent from what I saw on the highlights. <laughs> just totally unable to, to trouble Michael Clark and Mike Hussey as they racked up 180 runs in the final session on day four. As an England supporter, it was, uh, it was difficult not to feel a little bit of, of schadenfreude as, as, uh, as South Africa got perhaps a, a bit of a taste of their own medicine because England had quite a few sessions like that this summer but it begs the question saying is this the curse of the icc test mace does seem like every team that gets their hands on that mace then is rubbish yeah i mean do you think do you believe truly that there is an actual curse that's been placed upon the mace yeah i I mean the fact that it's called the mace it's very you know it conjures up kind of images of the medieval kind of you know wizardry and stuff isn't it i think ricky ponting put a curse upon upon a pox on this mace he said yeah. Um, when he was forced to uh, who came, to how, who came it. up with the idea of the mace? Do you know? Well, I don't know which individual. I mean, I'm guessing it was the ICC. Great idea, because I can't think of any other maces you know, in the current world scene, if you like. No one uses maces anymore, do they? No, and there might in be warfare. a reason for that uh, when, when, you, <laughs> you know. when you see how cumbersome and unwieldy the ICC test well, well, maces. Yeah. But, but so, yeah, South Africa, um, it was really remarkable how unthreatening their boulders were. I mean, there were some mitigating factors. It was an extremely flat wicket. South Africa also racked up a big score in the first innings. Should have got an even bigger one. Um, and you also have to give great credit to the Australian batsman. It was a, an unbelievable knock from Ed Cowan because a lot of people, myself included perhaps, weren't convinced that he had an innings like that in him You know, against anyone, let alone against the best attack in the world. Maybe the tourists were just baffled by their own inability to take wickets. You know, Maybe it was just, just a case of paralysis. It's not something that happens very often. Say you're Vernon Philander and you see Dale Stain just being neutered, not literally. Um, you know, Quite unsettling. May- maybe um, that um, draws the confidence out of you. Certainly. I mean, it is a shame that that day was washed out because you know, we were denied a good ending. Maybe South Africa also made a bit of a mistake in their selection, though. They left out Imran Tahir. And obviously, with hindsight, that looks like a big error. But also with foresight, I think it looked like a big error. I mean, we discussed last week how Tahir has struggled a little bit in Test cricket so far. Maybe Graham Smith was listening to us um, and decided to leave him out on the basis of that. But I still think that's bizarre because I'm a believer that you always need a, a spinner, no matter the conditions, even if it's the most... Um, even in India. Even in India, yeah. Tone, I think you need a spinner. Uh, it's controversial, but that's what I reckon. But yeah, yeah even on the, on, on the greenest surface, I think... You need a spinner. I was upset when England left out Swan in the summer. I was deeply upset about it. A few days to go over that. Didn't uh, because without a spinner, the attack does begin to look a little bit one-dimensional. Batsmen don't have anything different to think about. And South Africa had five seam bowlers in this team. And that's just overkill, as far as I'm concerned. If, if it was a case of South Africa not trusting to hear, thinking, you know, it's not that we don't want to play a spinner, it's that we don't want to play him around to here, then they should have picked Robin Peterson or they should have brought Paul Harris on the tour 
just play a spinner. As for Australia, presumably they're going to be much the happier of the two sides coming out of Brisbane. It was an extraordinary turnaround. Uh, they, they will have been nervous ahead of the series. They will have been even more nervous after losing the toss. They will have been even more nervous than that after conceding 450 and then being 40 for three. So to turn it around so dramatically uh, was seriously impressive. Yeah, and the, yeah, nothing like a big a beginnings, two or three beginnings to inspire confidence in the dressing room, isn't it? And the and the biggest innings came from from Michael Clark, the captain, and you feel that he really deserves a huge number of plaudits for this particular knock, but but also just in general at the moment. I mean, do we have to consider him to be one of the very best batsmen in the world right now? I say it's his his third um, score above two hundred this year. He also scored one hundred and fifty one against South Africa a year ago. Which, when you look at what happened to the rest of the batsmen in that game, that was that was when Australia in their second innings were twenty one for nine, when South Africa were also dismissed for less than 100. You know, perhaps yeah. that's one of the great innings of all time in that context. Well, I mean, he's getting big scores, isn't he? But then there are, you know, there are also a lot of failures in there. Uh, not, to come, not to be a bit down on him. Three big scores this year, you know, not, not much else of note. But then, yeah, maybe that's slightly harsh. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're very big scores and they're, they're coming at vital times. And I think as, as a captain, he's also leading this side very well. And that's being reflected in the results that he's achieving. I mean, Australia are unbeaten in Test Series since he took over. I don't know if you remember, but they were at quite a low ebb when he did take over after losing the Ashes. So Michael Clarke, he's not always been the most popular man in world cricket with fans around the world and also with Australian fans and with Australian players. I I read a little bit of Jimmy Anderson's biography, autobiography the other day, uh, which suggests that I really need to find some hobbies really doesn't it um yeah there was running (laughs) i'm not going to take up running but there was a bit where he he said that on the 2006 ashes tour after um england lost in adelaide that famous defeat in adelaide they went into the australian dressing room and were sort of they were having a few beers uh and michael clark and anderson said that michael clark was being so obnoxious that he thwacked him around the head with like a cricket thwacked him these were thwack i can't remember what word he used but yeah with like a a cricket glove or something he he gave him a clout around the head so michael clark not (laughs) always that popular but he's doing a very good job with us australian team so two games to go still nil nil Will you be changing your series prediction, Tony? You, you, you settled on 2-0. I went for 2-1, but only because I felt I couldn't go with the go same scoreline as you. Yeah. But obviously I can't now be right, but you could still be right, but it would involve South Africa improving drastically to win both of these last two games. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't, uh, didn't expect that Australia would have quite that amount of resolve. So well, I'm going to have to stick with it, I think. You don't want to be yeah. seen as a flip-flopper. You don't want to be seen as a Mitt Romney or a <laughs> no, Nick Clegg, do you? Not. Definitely not. A lot of people say to me that you remind them of Nick Clegg. (laughs) Just Uh, weak, spineless. Look, I think maybe... Just an uh, awful, awful man. Yeah, just give him a break, you know. (laughs) Give the guy a break. Still feel like it's going to be a South Africa series, isn't it? But maybe not 2-0 at this point, maybe 1-0. But maybe still 2-0, so (laughs) it's it's all possible. I'll tell you what I do love is watching... There's something quite... makes me quite happy about watching cricket in australia obviously i'd be happy if i was watching it in australia (laughs) but on the tv it just looks cool it's just like bright and sunny and green and blue (laughs) (laughs) it just looks really nice i know what you mean actually like from watching it's really just you know obviously most of the cricket i've watched that's been played in australia has involved england so just kind of you know watching watching the stuff this last week just reminds me of ashes series well there's something quite funny isn't there about um the experience of an England fan watching Ashes series in Australia because yeah certainly like that Ashes two years ago I watched most of it 
when it was on in the middle of the night and was then getting up to go to work. So I spent the majority of that winter just in a zombified, <laughs> totally sleepless state, or I was sleeping at the most ridiculous times, like at seven in the evening and stuff. But yeah, it's this this really kind of ridiculous contrast between it snowing outside and it being totally dark. No one else in the land is awake. And like I'm there with my bowl of cereal <laughs> on the sofa, where it, like in this massive duvet, and then just watching the TV. <laughs> and it's the most glorious yeah. sunshine. It looks hot. People, the commentators are going on about how hot it is. You know about the barbecues they're going to later. It, it is, is sickening. <laughs> it is truly sickening. It just look, look everything. I think I don't know. There's something just about the way it comes across. It's so vivid. The green, the blue, the, the red. That's the colours. Orange. Orange, yeah. Orange. Uh, yellow. Yellow. Pink. Not much purple. Pink. Burgundies as well. Really <laughs> just jump out. All the burgundies and magentas <laughs> in the spectrum. The side notes now, in which we discuss some of the more offbeat stories of the cricketing week. I've got a couple of side notes for you, Tony. I'm just going to rattle them off quite quickly. I've got one for you. Oh, bloody hell. Uh, well, I'll start with one from BBC Sport. West Indies' Chris Gale creates test history with opening six. Chris Gale has become the first player ever to hit a six off the first ball of a test match. The West Indies left-hander hit Bangladesh debutant Sohag Ghazi over long on in the first test in Dhaka. It was the 2051st test in history since the first match in 1877, but Gale's luck eventually ran out when Ghazi had the opener court for 24. Gale has now smashed a total of 84 sixes in his test career, to reach joint sixth on the all-time list. Remarkable. Can you believe that no one's hit I mean, it, a six it's amazing, the isn't it? But who, I mean, who, apart from Gale, has had cause to? Yeah. I mean, you th- maybe you think in a, you know, in a you know, non-event test. I can certainly but... understand that in the 1920s and 30s and 40s that it just, it would have been frowned upon if you'd hit a six off the first ball. But it's surprising that it hasn't happened like in the last 15 or 20 years. It's hard to believe that someone hasn't chucked down you know, a short ball and just it's been hooked. Exactly. Six, I it? mean, Savag, Hayden, Gale, Cook, you know, all the sort of destructive batsman Atherton like I can understand maybe they're not looking to hit a six off the first ball but as you say it's a surprise that a bowler hasn't bowled a, a rank long hop a rank loosener that's just been pulled away but I guess yeah they're just but I, there's just there's no there's no incentive yeah there's to, no it? need is there I'm just gonna what I've got it now but surely it. the incentive would have been to be I want to be the first thing. player in test history okay And there you go. Just watching it, I mean, it's just, he may as well be wearing a yeah, colour kit. It's just, exactly. It's, he, he did that numerous times in the uh, the World 2020. Have you got your side note? Yeah, this is from BBC Sport as well. Couldn't be bothered to type quick info this week. So <laughs> it's my browser. Um, Worcestershire signed RAF Corporal. Worcestershire have signed Graham Sessford for the 2013 season. Now, you know, are we going to get into counter cricket next year? <laughs> well, I don't know how much of this guy we'll see. But... I don't want to make any promises at this stage. <laughs> this is after the Royal Air Force Corporal was granted permission to join the club. He's 29, fast bowler, played for the club's seconds last season, uh, and he now has the RAF's elite athlete status. 
which allows him to move to New Road before returning to service when his contract expires. However, he will combine playing with a public relations role for the RAF. Sess has the ability to bowl with pace, and this will be a valuable asset in our 2013 campaign, says Cricket's uh, director of cricket, Steve Rhodes. <laughs> says Cricket, <laughs> Steve Rhodes. Uh, so I thought you could come up with some gags about you know, sending down some missiles, maybe. Right. Things that it made caught my eye about this where the RAF have got an elite athlete status, yeah. which is quite cool. Uh, you know, I don't know if I've got my workplace has got that. Uh, but I looked up uh, the RAF elite athlete program because it says, you know, it, the article read that he will combine playing with a public relations role, and I wanted to know what that entailed. And anyway, this is what he has to do. Elite athlete obligations provide photographic and video footage of themselves in the workplace and whilst competing in their sport. Ensure they are correctly attired in RAF corporate clothing whenever possible so that the service can gain the best exposure. (laughs) (laughs) Attend air shows, freshers fairs or similar PR events to advertise the benefits and support that the RAF has provided in in, in pursuing of a career and their sporting aspirations. Advertise the RAF at the events that they compete in wherever possible. But, I mean, is he like, does he have to warm up in his like full, you know, flight suit or something? Well, the thing is, my image of <laughs> RAF pilots is not, you know, what they look like now. It's of like the <laughs> 1940s. So I'm sort of imagining him there with a big handlebar moustache and, you know, much like Alo Alo, uh, really <laughs> yeah. is what I'm imagining. I say Fairfax. Uh, that's kind of what I assume. Obviously, like. plays his cricket like an RAF pilot of the you know the forties would have done. But well, he, has to, he has to be critically attired in RAF corporate clothing wherever possible and whenever possible. Tennis players when they win tournaments, they have to get their watch on straight away. There was that quite funny moment when Andy Murray won the US Open. The first thing he had to do was get the watch on. You know, F one drivers have to get their cap on and their watch on for the post match. Do you think like you know when if Worcestershire you know, win? the division next season. Yeah, he'll just be sprinting off to get his REF uniform <laughs> on for the pace match. Well no, yeah, if, well not even that, if like if Worcestershire are just playing on Sky, you know, say he uh, <laughs> say he dismisses Gary Keedy or something that he's just gotta like get the cap out. Like, yeah, maybe he just wears a berry instead of a cap yeah. or whatever. Uh, it's it's funny that it says like he's gotta advertise the service wherever possible. Like, I, can, I I can see he's like a good ambassador for the RAF was it elite sport elite sportsman program because i mean that's not something that i knew existed so i can see that maybe they want to make people aware of that but do they need to make people aware of the (laughs) raf because that's kind of what's implicit in that do you imagine that there's a lot of kids in britain sort of sitting around going like i like to fly planes like in like in wars and that but i just don't know who i should apply to (laughs) it's like well the raf would be a good option but then there's like i think that about so many like big companies as well like do McDonald's need to advertise anymore? I mean, I guess they've got like specific promotions or whatever, but you see adverts just for McDonald's. Are yeah. people watching that going like, McWho now? Like, could they not have an advert that's just like, we're still here, just come and get a burger or something? I think, yeah, they do. I they still do. think I should go into advertising. <laughs> I don't know why you keep telling me I should. Uh, one more side note for you, Tane. Uh, I've actually brought a hard copy of a newspaper with me. Wait, hear this. Haven't seen one of those for a while. Sounds like a newspaper to me. It's like it's 2007 all over <laughs> again, isn't it? Every Monday in The Guardian, there's a, a, a feature called Screen Break uh, where Martin Kellner talks about um, sport on TV. Here you go. I'll, I won't read the whole article, but I'll, I've picked out some sections. A league of their own treads the Robbie road to success. Among the many revelations I've been able to bring to you over the years of this column is the secret to appearing on television. Some of you will remember that the key, vouchsafed exclusively here, is to look pleased to be there. Just that. But what I may have forgotten to mention is that there is a balance to be struck. Try not to look too pleased. Steer a middle course. Somewhere between a junior minister dragged onto BBC Breakfast to discuss disastrous unemployment figures and Robbie Savage. 
The Robbie route, I fear, is the favoured one currently. Everywhere on TV, championing and celebrating is the order of the day. From the karaoke singers on The X Factor and the middle-ranking celebrities on Strictly Come Dancing to people who can bake a nice cake, all are being wildly applauded and, of course, are desperately pleased to be on our screens. Right, hang on. To witness the line being crossed... David Cameron, I wasn't buying in. Hang on a minute, hang on. <laughs> no, hang on. Yeah. No, hold on, Philip. To witness the line being... <laughs> David Cameron, you know, comparisons just won't stop. <laughs> to witness the line being crossed, I recommend A League of Their Own, the raucous, preening, self-regarding sports panel show, which has overcome a lukewarm critical response, except here where the boiler would need to be fired up a little to reach lukewarm, to stride triumphantly into a sixth series on Sky. Now, we've talked a bit about the Le- a League of Their Own before, haven't we, Tone? Uh, but Andrew Flintoff is one of the team captains, isn't he? The programme is currently celebrating the Olympics, invite- inviting a series of British medalists onto the show to be anointed by the host James Corden. Mo Farah, Lewis Smith, Rebecca Adlington and Sir Chris Hoy are among recent inductees, emerging to a standing ovation from a frenzied audience, a cascade of golden ticket tape and a hysterical We Are Not Worthy welcome from panellists and the hosts. I don't know what it is about Corden, the unabashed self-delight possibly, but you get the impression he's taking personal credit for our triumphs. A League of Their Own is a show where the panellists high-five each other when they answer a question correctly, which tells you everything you need to know about it. Question of sport, it ain't. What puzzles me is the warning that precedes it, alerting viewers to its, quote, strong language and adult humour. The strong language part I understand. Regular panellist Freddie Flintoff is pretty well guaranteed to introduce Britain's most popular and widely used four-letter word at an early stage, but I've subjected the show to forensic analysis and have yet to discover a trace of humour that could be described as adult. Unless they mean this kind of thing, panellist Jack Whitehall reveals that he learnt to Morris dance at school. Quote, I'm a man of the bell, he says, to which Gordon responds, quote, you're the end of a bell in many ways. The kind of repartee that might pass muster between two males at a bus stop knocking each other's school caps off, but is in little danger of threatening the reputation of the Algonquin round table. The other shaft of Wildean wit we were treated to this week was an exchange between Flintoff and comedian John Bishop on the subject of the former cricketer's flamboyant jumper, culminating in Freddie's deathless put-down, quote, you're a wanker, you are. <laughs> paper yeah i mean i don't watch league of their own but i can tell you now that it's rubbish i used to really enjoy their thing it's all over which is a bbc uh comedy sports panel show very similar idea uh, similar idea and i used to remember thinking that was really funny but maybe that was because i was like 10 i think if you watch that now you yeah. would enjoy it. i think if you were 10 now you'd be loving a league of their own yeah i mean i have seen it and yeah it's not very good and it's it's Flintoff, I can see why he's he sort of wants to go into boxing because he can't hang his hat on a league of their own for the for the rest of his life. We're just having a go at comedians. Comedi- I don't really find comedians that funny. <laughs> but I, what's funnier is like Bob Willis, you know, having a going on a rant. That's funny. Yeah, I don't know if we need to be having a go at them though. Tone, they're, they're just trying to do an honest job of work. It, it, aren't does, they? it seems it does come across very kind of bitter <laughs> as we sit here on a dark, you know, rainy Tuesday night. I was going to say sat in our ivory tower, but it's the opposite of that, yeah. isn't it? It's <laughs> we're literally sat in our dank yeah, basement, not getting paid. Uh, but there we go. Much like George Entwistle's tenure as the Director General of the BBC, this episode of The World Cricket Show has reached the end of the road. No golden handshakes for us, though, Tony. Am I right? No, no, no big payoffs. If I was to get a big payoff and I knew I was going to get it, I'd happily quit. Or The World Cricket Show? Yeah, I'd hand in my... Hand. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yes, if someone offered me 450 grand right now, I'd, I mean, I'd probably take it. 
I just don't feel, you know, I don't feel there's any editorial leadership on the show at the moment. I think we're... You know. Look at me. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's the backroom staff that, that need to be looked at there, the production team. I know we talk about bodyboarding an awful lot on this show, Tane. Some would say too much. Time to talk about it. Yeah, I, I wasn't planning on necessarily bringing it up again, but something happened at the weekend that I did want to share with you because uh, I'm not sure that you're even aware of this as yet. Uh, regular listeners know all about our bodyboarding, don't they? Basically, we do a lot of bodyboarding uh, in uh, whenever there's waves around here in Guernsey. Uh, we get out there in our board shorts with our child-sized bodyboards and just annoy the surfers in their wetsuits and that. We've sort of been increasingly feeling out of place amongst the surfers. But then on Sunday, you were at work, uh, but there were waves, so I went out with a, with a couple of other friends. It seemed like there were a lot of surfers there, like even more than normal, uh, and we were sort of bodyboarding. And, <laughs> then, uh, and then more and more surfers were turning up, and they were giving us some, they were giving us some odd looks. But then you, you do get funny looks from the surfers, because, I mean, they basically hate us. Uh, and we hate them and there's just a lot of animosity there but they were giving us funny looks and then more and more were coming so then we moved further down the beach and then more came there I was like there really are a lot of surfers today and then I caught a wave stood up just heard this klaxon <laughs> looked across <laughs> on this clump of rocks that like adjoined the beach uh, there was like, like a big group of people holding up flags with a scoreboard and I was like, oh, Jesus, turn to look at the shore. There are about 50 or 60 people watching. Essentially, we'd interrupted the Guernsey Surf Championships. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the question that springs to mind is, you know, why weren't we involved from the outset? Well, I actually, I actually won. Uh, <laughs> I, I emerged the winner. No, we should have, we were bringing the bodyboard category. I mean, the, what, there is no bodyboard category at the moment, as it stands. Maybe next year. Well, when they, when they saw us in there, they must have thought, bloody hell, we need to get a category for these guys. But I don't know why the surfers didn't say to us, you do know it's the surf championship. <laughs> or they were just hoping they'd kill us with their surfboards. <laughs> and then that would solve the problem for future reference as well. But, uh, but yeah, we were kind of, I guess we were kind of lending it some much-needed street cred, weren't we? It's a bit of a nerdy competition the surf championship it's not very cool um so uh so yeah we come down there in our board shorts and uh you know immediately it's a much cooler event <laughs> anyway that's about it for the world cooking show this week you're away next week aren't you Tim? i am yeah what are you doing little tour of the south of england hitting the hitting L- london bristol portsmouth and southampton in a kind of mini tour <laughs> it's, uh, you say that like you are on tour are you are you, are you touring your stand-up oh, yeah i'm touring just you know pubs and clubs <laughs> for the south the of bristol England. palladium the birmingham hippodrome uh and i'm going to take in uh guernsey fc guernsey football club are playing in the fa vars on saturday in london so i'm gonna go and watch game. that huge game big shout out to ross allen uh who scored uh, a great last minute equalizer last week against top of the table bad shot lee are we doing shout outs com- well, I've, I've, I've just think done one so we're, so you're away for one week and one week only 10 days uh well i mean from a podcast point of view you're yeah. away for one episode but we will be bringing out an episode as normal next week uh communicating via the medium of skype you're taking your ipad aren't you mm. so it might be a slightly might be a bit of a strange episode but uh but we'll we'll get it out to the listeners i'll do it like sid low style like i'll be on a train or something with a dog yeah exactly i might i could always uh ring up london correspondent gordon mccray i haven't asked him about it yet but <laughs> going on his previous record of appearing on the show <laughs> Uh, I'd say we've got nothing to worry about there uh, but in between now and next week if listeners want to get more involved in the World Cricket Show uh, there's all kinds of things that they can do follow us on Twitter twitter.com slash cricket show I saw on the Channel 9 commentary that uh, Mark Taylor asked Brett Lee how much it costs to send a tweet 
Uh, so that was quite amusing. Get on the trolley, Mark. You can follow Tony as well, at Tony Covert. Lots of people do. Over 50 people do. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, if you want to be one of those lucky few, uh, you can be. Yeah. Uh, find us on Facebook as well, <laughs> facebook.com slash cricket show. You can send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. But the two best things you can do by far are firstly to leave us a review on iTunes. We massively appreciate all of those. If you can't think of anything to say, just ask us. Just send us an email. We'll we'll tell you what to say. Just like life changing or something like that. Life changing, yeah. Uh, and also defining. buy a freaking t shirt. If you go to www.cricketshow.net. Uh, for just £15, including free worldwide shipping, uh, we will send you a World Cricket Show t-shirt. It's a great t-shirt, you know, it fits well under jumpers and coats if you're in the Northern Hemisphere winter. Cardigans. Or, or you know, if you're getting drenched in Australia, you know, it'll, it dries pretty quickly, I gather. <laughs> At least as quickly as any other t-shirt, yeah. I'm led to believe. But yeah, so that's it. That's episode 160 in the bag, Tone. I can cross that off the list of things I've got to do this week. <laughs> I've got the edit, I suppose. I I, when I was editing last week's show, I actually texted you about this. That I was absolutely fuming. I was sat there <laughs> fuming because I noticed that a real a missed opportunity for a gag. I was really annoyed with you because you said something yeah, like... Yeah, you said annoyingly long text. <laughs> you said something like, uh, oh, the parallels between uh, the US electoral system, like the US electoral college and test cricket are just endless. And there's just a great gag there about how they're both stuck in the 19th century, both hopelessly out of their depth in the 21st century. You didn't think of it. I don't think I really was listening to you talking at that point, so I'm really annoyed with you. I mean, you're the gag man. That's what you do. I'm spinning so many plates over here, so, uh, your, your Your one job is to be the gag man. So I was quite annoyed with you. Sometimes, though, you know, I like to dangle the carrot and uh, you know give people the personal satisfaction of cracking a great gag themselves you, know? <laughs> you imagine that like on the bus they're, they're listening and they go hopelessly out of their depth in the 21st century <laughs> exactly it's like build your own joke here alright that's it stay in school everybody and um, we'll see you next time bye bye for now Ta-ra. I can smell your fear I mean, the essentially the takeaway from that is I'm probably going to have to move to Australia at some point. <laughs> is this you telling me that you're yeah, moving I'm to off, Australia? Mate. I'm off. Can I come with you? And then the parrot flew off with the monkey. But then, I mean, there was a guitar as well, which gave it away. Can't, I can't do comedy songs. I'm not into it. Because is it, is it a little bit awkward that I brought my cello with me this week? <laughs> 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 